there had never been a person that had broken the sub four minute mile in Delaware. Like, wait a second, this is actually something that um, I really want to do. Yeah. Who cares if it's the right thing to do? Um, and it ended up being one of the most fulfilling races still in my career was getting to be on my old high school track, breaking four, you know, winning that race. And All right, I'm Doug Adams, and very lucky to be joined by Sam Parsons here today. Sam Parsons is a professional runner, amongst many other things, but he runs for Adidas and Tin Man Elite, as well as the German national team, and has been on multiple world stages at World Championships, German National Championships, and really has uh, seen a great running career so far with lots of exciting things to come. And I'm really excited today because Sam is an athlete that I've worked a lot with um, over the past couple of years, and he is somebody that is just really easy to cheer for. And that's what I really hope we can convey here, just a little bit of the story. It's an Olympic year. There's lots of exciting things going on in the track and field. And I thought Sam would be great to share some of the knowledge that has really helped him, as well as uh, just a chance for us to see his story and cheer for him with all the fun upcoming events here. So, Sam, thanks, thanks for being Doug. on. Thanks for being here, man. I certainly wouldn't still be running at this point in my career if it wasn't for you. So I'm happy to be uh sitting down doing this together yeah uh, the pleasure is all mine so thank you yes so um i know sam really well so i kind of want to just jump in a little bit and get a little background story sam and i were actually we're in delaware right now Uh, everyone knows where delaware is i'm sure but we're in omega project the pt clinic here and uh, sam and i are both from delaware although that's not exactly how we met uh, in delaware but um sam We've shared a lot of your background and stories, and I think one of the things that really stands out and I love to hear about and would like the audience to hear just about why they should care about you too, um, kind of give us a little background on where you got your competitive spirit from and where is that you're such a fierce competitor, um, and I really would love to share, like, where did that start and, you know, what is that like now as you're on the elite of the elite stage, but where, where did that begin? Yeah, it's definitely, um, as far as like competitiveness right now, it's definitely incredibly daunting at times, you know, when you are getting on a starting line and you look to your left, you look to the right and you're looking at world record holders, you're looking at, you know, like people that uh, are the cream of the crop and uh, there definitely can be imposter syndrome there. Um, And there's definitely been moments like that. And I think that learning how to foster and manifest your own confidence within yourself and you know, reaffirm your competitiveness is something that is so important and crucial to you know performing at a high level um, and performing in those like highly intense, stressful situations when you're in a stadium and there's you know fifty thousand people and it's not like you can pass the ball off to somebody. Right. You know, it's you versus you, and I think there's a lot of beauty in running um, within that uh, within itself, but. And my competitiveness has certainly changed over time, but I've, I learned early on when I was a kid that I was willing to suffer. And I think that is kind of like the thing I remember most was when as early as I think when I first was really like pushed in my life, um, I certainly was like challenged by my dad at times, but I think the first time I really was, you know, pushed to my limits and I wanted to push the, the, those limits were um, at the summer swim leagues practices where I would bike a mile to practice with my sister 
um, from like my house in Newark, you know, bike through all the little neighborhoods and get to like the Persimmon Creek uh, Swim Club. Shout out Piranhas. Um, and we had this coach, Steve Early, and this was just some, you know, fun summer swim league. And I know that's what it sounds like, but as you know, swimming also for Oakland's. Yeah. Um, Go Slugs. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. Oh. And there was a lot of competitiveness. There's a lot of team spirit around it. And Steve basically would give us these speeches, you know, before practice and after practice about how we have North Star coming up or we have this team coming up and like, we need to give it our best today, you know? And that would rile me up yeah. where I was like, I need, I need to do this for Steve. Like yeah. I need to be my best for Steve this weekend. And it got to the point where he started challenging people to start doing dry land after the swim practice, which is basically like an additional 10 to 20 minutes of core work, squats, you know, just on the pool deck, you know, just strength training. It's what it was. It was my, like, when I look at it now, it was my first introduction to any type of like PT work or, you know, extra little things to up my athletic mm. performance, you know, outside yeah. of just doing the activity itself. And Steve then eventually figured out, you know, who are the kids that were staying after, you know, and who are the kids that weren't, you know, yeah. and then once he weeded that out, those people out, then all of a sudden he had this core group of kids that really wanted to be there and really wanted to push hard and really wanted to like score points at those big meets in the weekends throughout the summer. And he then added in endurance tests where we would do planks, for example, or we do wall sits. And he would literally just start the clock and walk away, you know, or like watch from afar. And just watch to see who would drop. Who's going to break first. And who was going to break first. It was totally like a, you know, like I think of like the, you know, survivor challenges, you know, where it's like how long can you hold on to the pole and right. things like that. Maybe that's where he got it from. Uh, but I was, I, I, got, I was obsessed with beating the older kids. Yeah. Like I wanted to prove myself because they were faster than me in the pool. But mentally, I figured out that if I was willing to really suffer and I didn't care how sore I was the next day. Uh, I, I would completely wreck myself to hold the plank and yeah. will myself to beat Sam Crawford and, you know, Craig, <laughs> these guys that were just so cool and they were older and they were kind of the seniors, the eighth graders, you know. Yeah. Um, it's funny to say eighth graders, eighth graders you know, because it's like, yeah. you know, I was probably, yeah, I was like eight and ten years old. Um, and eventually then it kept growing and he kept figuring out new tests and challenges for us. And I remember one uh, in particular was he did, we did like a biathlon where we did like a running one yeah. and I just could torch everyone on the run. Uh, and then I'd have this big head start going to the pool, you know, and everyone would catch me in the pool. Like I was an okay swimmer. Uh, but yeah, that was definitely where the competitiveness I think first manifested. So Steve Early, I think the world of him and for a coach to pour so much heart into these young, young kids yeah, it's something so cool. And I think a lot of like maybe parents thought he was, you know, crazy the way he would like get down. And like, I'm sure your coaches were like this too, but like get down in your face, like as you're swimming, like move, stroke, oh, you know, like going nuts. And uh, that was the world to me and trying to impress him. And it uh, was a big part of it too, just because I looked up to him so much. And then when I moved through, you know, high school and I gave up swimming and eventually transitioned into running, then I went to Tattnall and had Patrick Castaño, my high school coach, who then flooded me with even more 
inspiration when it came to goal setting and dreaming. And he was the one that then taught me how to dream because being competitive and being passionate about something um, or being willing to work hard and competitiveness will only take you so far unless you have the dreaming aspect with it. And so I got that from Steve, the competitiveness. And then Coach Castagna then taught me how to dream. You know, that's what I always say is like Castagna taught me how to dream. And um, giving someone the gift of teaching them how to dream and instilling confidence in them to dream, I think is the greatest gift that you can give to someone as a coach or a practitioner um, or even a teammate. So um, I've been incredibly fortunate to have those mentors at a young age to foster that, to allow me to then dream big enough to even think that I could do it professionally. And anybody that's worked with Sam knows that that started at eight and he's only accelerated <laughs> since then where it's gotten like more. And that's uh, one of the things I think what you're talking about isn't just for running. Like you said, it could be any professional. It's that extra element of are you willing to do what nobody else is willing to do? Are you going to push yourself beyond that comfort level and get there? And whether, you know, I'm a physical therapist and for me that was yeah. residency and doing those things. Is that when it started for you? It was like in your residency where you were like, I want to be the top in my class or... Yeah, I think um, I was a triathlete going into it, and my first ever triathlon race, I won my age group by eight minutes, and it was like regionals, and I thought I was, you know, hot yeah. stuff. <laughs> really, nobody else knew it was regionals either, yeah. and just nobody showed up, and it was early days of triathlon. Yeah. But then, you know, I started to be like, oh, I can, I can be something. I can do something, and I had people in my life that also helped me and showed me that. My mom was a big part of that. She had been to Olympic trials for swimming and was really in to competitiveness as well and, and taught me that. But I think it, it can be really for any type of profession. But knowing Sam's origin story, when you work with Sam, when you see him at the track, I, I'm one of the things that I love, and when I first started working with professional athletes, the thing that was always amazing for me is after a meet, all the pros get together and just do a big workout. Yeah. You would think that, <laughs> oh, great, I did this meet, like I've culminated, I've got what I've done. And I think when I first started working in this professional realm of runners and triathletes, I really just was blown away by the willingness to just then crush yourself after you hit a goal, you hit a PR. We did the one of my favorite moments of my career was Sam did this Delaware Mile where we did the Delaware Mile ch pro, uh, challenge and Coach Castagna put to, that together, did a great job. Sam came and set the record for the mile and they had the track was just lined with people and it was great. It was, you know, fireworks and all sorts of things. It was really cool. Yeah, that was funny because Coach Castagna used to always be obsessed with like there had never been a person that had broken the sub four minute mile in Delaware. Yeah. And he would annoy me about it all the time. And yeah. I never thought that like it would actually ever line up with like my racing schedule and, you know, like what, what my agent would let me do and, you know, all the politics of it, you know. But when I finally like put all of that aside and was like, wait a second, this is actually something that um, I really want to do. Yeah. Who cares if it's the right thing to do? Um, and it ended up being one of the most fulfilling races still of my career was getting to be on my old high school track, breaking four, you know, winning that race and getting to be there and see so many people that were there um, in those early years. You know, yeah. Steve, you know, Steve, I couldn't be there, you know, but, uh, you know, of course, Coach Castagna was there and there's uh, a lot of really important people to those stepping stones were there for sure. So that's super special. And then right after it, 
Mm-hmm. Sam's ripping 400s, 600s, yeah. like, you know, getting in there after it. <laughs> and although, you know, I think you're pretty good about celebrating some victories, you're also really good about just keeping your head down and working hard and being willing to put that in. And I think a lot of people say that they want to achieve a certain goal and they want to do something. But then when it comes down to the real hard work, they're not willing to put that in. And Sam, above many other people that I know, is is definitely willing to put that work in. And Cheers, thank you. Yeah, it's just a that, that makes it a pleasure to work with. I know on the physical therapy side, one of the most fulfilling things is working with an athlete or, or any patient that's really dedicated to doing that. And one of the least motivating things is when somebody says they want to do something, then they don't put any effort in mm. and you're putting all this effort in. So, I think, But that goes yeah. the same thing um, for you then also is like, um, what did we do after the workout? Yeah, we did treatments. We yeah. came in here yeah. at basically midnight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you treated me and we made sure that my body was okay. And we made sure that, you know, that hard day was going to um, not lead to an injury, that it wasn't going to turn into something that I didn't press envelope too much. So to have someone that can match, you know, that type of dedication, you know, uh, means the world to me, of course. And like, uh, you don't find that, you know, like it, it, it is easy to want to just, you know, stick to your schedule, you know, and do the things. But it's like, um, I, I know that um, you're one of the best in the world at what you do because of that sort of dedication is because athletes, you know, will see that and word will spread. And that's the type of dedication. And I know that's not, you're not doing that every night, of course, you know, um, but when it's necessary, you're there and you're doing it. And the same thing where it's like that workout after the race, you know, that's necessary to make your hard days really, really hard and making those easy days really, really easy. And I think that was a huge trend within the sport of running um, is making those hard days really hard in order to get the biggest bang for your buck and making then the easy days in between the workouts um, just days to then recover, get things right, tune things up, do your activations, do all your drills, do all the mundane stuff. But then when you're hitting it hard, make sure your hard days are hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, before I take that to another point, I just want to uh, make note of something that you said, because I think this is really good for runners to hear. Um, and you said it to me before, and I use it for myself with my own running, that there are no substitutions and you can't pass the ball mm-hmm. with running. Mm-hmm. A sport like an endurance sport like that, I think that is such a huge part because there is no, I need a two minute break. You're in the middle of a 5K. You can't just pass the, unless you're in a relay, you can't pass the baton to somebody else and just say, hey, just run for me for a little bit. It's you versus the clock versus your competitors. And I think that sometimes that can be really helpful for people to just dig deep and understand what that's like and know that they're doing it. And there is a team behind it, behind every person. There's, there's normally a team, but it, it's so refreshing to hear that. And it, like the analogy of no substitutions is really great for Mm -hmm. sport like running. Mm -hmm. I just really like that. So I wanted to talk about that real quick, but then I wanted to kind of shift to we've, it's fun talking about all the fun stuff too, but there's the flip side and I think that having the goals and setting that and putting the hard days in is really important. I think even more important is when things aren't going well, what do you do? And 
obviously the sport of running is known for injuries and Sam's had his fair share, uh, you know, some of it while we've gotten so close and gotten to know each other here. And yeah, so I love your perspective as an elite athlete. What does it take to overcome that adversity from an injury standpoint? And what, you know, what have you learned that has helped you to not only get through an injury, but come out of it, even going to the next level from that 1% to the 0.1% to the 0.01%. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's been a lot of times in my career where, you know, you're stuck in this seemingly never ending one thing after the next flare ups, you know, whether it's because you are pushing and that competitiveness gets the best of you and uh, maybe you go a little too hard and there are so many times where I've, you know, bit myself just because of stubbornness and leading to long-term injuries. And that comes with the territory of the pursuit of wanting to, you know, be your best and chase the best version of yourself. Like that's going to come with it is like learning how to fail also. And unfortunately, like failure often comes with injuries. And uh, I've been fortunate, unfortunate that almost all my injuries are typically like tendon issues and muscle like muscle injuries and like things in that nature and haven't had like any real bone problems or anything like that like I certainly think that I overeat um and make sure I'm getting like a very like wide-ranging diet um to make sure that like there's nothing like no stone that I'm missing in terms of like what I'm giving to my body like I'm giving myself tons of sugars you know protein, tons of carbs. Um, and I think that does, you know, help with bone health incredibly also, but, um, but you can speak more on that. Uh, (laughs) uh, strength is the thing that has always gotten me out of injuries is like getting stronger and going back to the basics and the little things. And that's where, you know, finding the right physical therapist, finding the right person that can give you the protocols that can get you through and it's the type of thing where it's like you need to commit yourself for those six weeks like i'm pretty sure you taught me it was like the six weeks for strengthening where you're actually gonna like get any time is it is it six yes yeah six to eight weeks when you start a strength training program you're gonna be able to lift more weights and do more with it but until you actually see changes in the muscle it's Mm -hmm. about six to eight weeks of consistently consistently doing exercises yes Yeah. So, you know, finding that strength training regime and like doubling down on it and doing the little things is the thing that have almost always gotten me out of injuries, like doing the soft tissue work. You know, I've tried every single shockwave, you know, hydro dissection, wind back machines, laser therapy, like I've done it all um, and I've tried it all and all that stuff is important and it helps and it keeps you going day in and day out. Um, But the thing that actually gets you out long term is the little strength or it's the exercise it's the hip mobility stuff you know it's the you know glute bridges before you start your run it's the little things consistently that all of a sudden you add into your routine to prevent stuff from happening and to get strong enough to then (laughs) this is probably a bad quote for this podcast but i'm going to say it anyway is that like there was a professional runner that once told me that the best, no, sorry, it was a upperclassman in college told me, it was like one of these best, worst advice, to you. I've, I've told this one to you, where it's like the best runners are the best compensators. Like the best runners are the people that can compensate for their weaknesses the best. Yeah. Um, and there is truth to it. 
There is. And the, the challenge of that, it's a great statement, but the challenge is that... <laughs> I mean, at the time, yeah. he was just yes. telling me, like, you know, like, stop being a wimp and run it through and it, you know? It. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the challenge is, is you don't always know when you're compensating. Yeah. I think that's where the real issue is that our body doesn't send a memo out. Be like, hey, guess what? Your glute meat isn't firing. Totally. So you're just going to drop the pelvis a little bit and your hip flexor will take up some of the tension. You'll be all right for another 50 miles until I'm just yeah. going to scream at you. Yeah. So it is the ability, but it's also checking in and being able to see, well, am I doing things that I'm not aware of? I think that's a part of it, too, because this is something you and I have talked about. And this is not just for elite runners, for any level of runner. Consistency is the number one thing. Mm -hmm. There is no one workout. Mm -hmm. There is no one exercise that is going to make or break you. The one workout is for your ego. You know, the one workout is to uh, try to take away any little bits of like insecurity or mental insecurity you might have. I for sure am with you on that. Uh, And that is where I think what I found in my training and changing my regiment, like there have been times in my career where I felt like I was like stagnating because there's a point where Every professional runner, like you said, is like, it's not like it's just me that's finishing a race and then doing a track workout, you know, like the other guys that race against that night, they did threshold work also, you know, like it wasn't just me being like some superhero, you know, like it is part of the culture is to get that work done. It's like you see NBA players doing the same thing. It's like after a game, they're hitting the weight room after, you know, because that is the best time for them to get that done because if they do it maybe the day before or two days before when they're trying to recover, it's not the best time to, you know, get those adaptations properly. But after a game when they've really stressed themselves, you know, make sure you double down and, you know, make that hard day a hard day so that you can properly recover in the 48 hours after. Um, But I think, like I was saying, there comes a point where everyone's doing the same thing. It's just cut up differently, whether it's yeah. mile repeats, whether it's a six mile tempo run or seven by mile, or it's, you know, 10 by K or it's a 15 mile long run or whatever, you know, like on Sundays or you're doing it on Wednesdays, you know, like everyone's doing the same thing. Their coach just might think that they're doing it some special way because he's does it this little special way, right. you know? Um, and really a lot of it has to like, who can do that the longest? For sure. Right. And that's where the consistency always comes into play. Yeah, I think that's a huge part. And I, you know, one of the things I think that's really helpful because I know, I'm sure hopefully there's some elite runners listening to this, but I think it's a lot more recreational and physical therapists and those kind of things too. Um, you know, talking about that consistency. The other thing when we talk about pros though, there's a, a misconception that a pro has time to do all of the exercises and to do all of the things. And while you probably have more time than many recreational athletes, there's a load management issue. So when I first started working with pros, I quickly realized I can't just give them a mm-hmm. ton of things to mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. because they're running 90 miles a week. Mm-hmm. So you even if they have time to do an exercise from a load management standpoint, I can't add all the little things. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you're looking to go from the 1% to the 0.1% to the 0.01%, what are the things that you have seen in your career really help you from a most bang from your buck yeah. standpoint? Yeah, well, 
what I was like saying before also was like when you step, like there came a point where like I'm doing the same amount of training and you're stagnating and you then have to go out and look for things that will give you um, that next percent or get you that point oh faster. And like one of those things was for me was like the gait analysis unit, like the run DNA unit that we worked on together was like figuring out my inefficiencies and my efficiencies and where I need to improve. And it's like, it's funny, like even like my dad, he was on the bike with me today when I'm home for Christmas here in Delaware. And he was just saying, he's like, yeah, it's so funny to like watch you run now and like how much stronger you are, how much uh, more efficient you are than you were in college. You know, like I, I, I was still able to run at a high level in college, but I wasn't anywhere close to a professional level. And even when I was a professional running, I was competing with professionals, but I still wasn't at the world stage. I wasn't at the international level, you know, and I was desperate to continue to improve. But like you said, with load management, there's only so much you Mm -hmm. can do more. Like I I can't just do a hundred squats, even though I want to, you know, or like, or box jumps or whatever, you know? And then when I started doing the unit, like I hated it, you know, because it's uncomfortable and you're telling me to, you know, get your knee drive higher. And, you know, you're changing my back kick because I used to have this big low B back kick, you know? Um, and that's comfortable. You get comfortable the way you're running because that's how you're used to it. Like, you're naturally, your body's going to naturally, when you're running, try to make it as easy as possible. But oftentimes that can also lead to very inefficient form in the process. Yeah. Where like with the big thing that we've talked about is um, how when I lean, like when I reach. Yeah. And it is incredible that in photos or after a good or a bad race, you can see in the photos or from the videos when the race goes from good to bad for me. Yeah. When all of a sudden I start reaching forward and when I lose that forward lean. Yeah. And Head we realize up. so quickly that I'm losing so many seconds, precious, precious seconds, a difference between winning or losing, getting a medal or not getting a medal, qualifying for the Olympics or not qualifying for the Olympics, purely just in me leaning forward more and me focusing on my knee drive and these little things. And it's like, it was this light bulb moment for me, you know, like five years ago now when we started working together where it was like, okay, I can do these things through the gait analysis unit stuff and see tangibly, hey, you're overstriding by this much on the right side versus left side is good. And that's why your high hamstring hurts. And that's why your pelvic tilt is off, you know, because I'm doing these small little motions. And then when I can do this stuff consistently and do these tests over and over and over again and focus on it and remember those little cues that you gave me, that's where I've gone from, you know, the 1% to the 0.0001%, you know? Right. And that's the hardest jump that is to yeah. go to. Because like I said, there's only so much talent. There's only so many squat jumps you can do. But I think the thing that anyone can do at any level from a recreational standpoint, whether it's, you know, I mean, I think that especially for like for the five hour marathon runner or the three hour marathon runner, they could see like a 10 to 20 minute improvement purely just because of getting a cue of, hey, you need to lean forward more. And that's so simple and so crazy that something so small like that, if they can remember it, because all of a sudden when they start leaning back and they are all of a sudden using their hip flexors more or whatever, they're going to fatigue out so much quicker if they're just using the power muscles of the glutes and the hamstrings. And that's the same with me too. So it's something that is such a commonality between 
professionals to this level. And it's something that has been an invaluable resource for me. And, you know, I know you have hundreds of testimonials now from people and seeing the difference where it's like, all right, let's stop beating a dead horse here with doing my repeats or 800s. Let's get to the roots of the problem. Yeah. You just hit the nail on the head, getting to the root of the problem, Mm -hmm. but also the individualization aspect of Mm -hmm. it too, because it's not just you that has some of those issues, but what's going to be the biggest gain for you? Where are we going to get a 10% improvement from a 1% effort there? Right. That's where we really see. And it's a little bit, as, as you were talking, I was thinking of that saying, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. Right. And it's whether you're saying, hey, I'm going to do my first marathon and I've done nothing but 5Ks. Okay. Well, what got you to run 5Ks is not going to get you to run marathons. Mm -hmm. And if you've never looked at form or if you've never been in the weight room or if you've never thought about adding in some speed work or you don't know where you should be running for your easy or slow pace, there's all these little things that can make a big difference because running injuries are multifactorial. And it's not that there's just one way to get better, but you have to look and say, what is the best way that I can really get an exponential return from the efforts that I can do? Because the reality is we all want to just run Mm -hmm. and we don't want to think about it. And we just want to go run and run what feels good. Yeah. Like I said, I hated it, you know, because it's uncomfortable. It's different. You're using different muscles, you know, like like when you, you know, have done, like when you put the stick behind my legs yeah. to make sure I don't, you know, do my back kick or, you know, it's like you put the little paper towel rolls <laughs> to make sure that like I'm, I'm not overstriding and these little stupid, these little stupid things to me where I'm like, come on, I'm, I know how to run, I'm a pro you know runner I mean? here. but what it's like, mean? but all of a sudden, you know, there's this humility to it where it's like, okay, like swallow the ego and all of a sudden like it's going to take you so so far yeah yeah i think it's fun it's it's so rewarding on my side too to see those gains Mm -hmm. as well and see where we just went out to a track session the other day cold rainy day another sign of sam's dedication here and just looking at it and he was so much better and then we just fine-tuned just one little thing Mm -hmm. and now he's at the point where he can make that gain and it makes such a big difference where his next couple reps looked just much smoother and faster and felt better so Mm -hmm. um yeah i think it is looking at those little things but realizing as a runner as a coach as a physical therapist, you don't have to do all of them at once. You can really just do a little bit here and a little bit there, give it some time to sink in. And then over years, you know, five years ago, Mm -hmm. we were talking about this earlier, the gap versus the gain. Like, look at the gain that you've made in the last five years and where you're at. And that took time and consistency. But now you're competing like consistently on that elite, elite, elite world stage, mm-hmm. which is really fun. And I, I give you a ton of credit for sticking with it because, you know, some people really do, um, you know, obviously Sam had overall good form. And when we changed some of his form, he was very ingrained in it. Somebody running 60 miles a week, 70 miles a week at the time. It's, you know, you're pretty used to it there. Um, but the fact that he stuck with it when he didn't, like it 
is a testament there because there's some people that you change their form and instantly they feel better. And they like, one of my favorite things to do is say, run your old way. And they're like, no, I can't. I'll never <laughs> run that way again. That's yeah. like the most rewarding thing for me. Yeah. yeah sir, but that certainly wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. But the consistency of like sticking with it, even when that's not the case, that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, along those same kind of lines earlier this year, we were talking to me about your, you did some coaching as well. And you're an athlete that's coached. You work with teams. You work with strength trainers, physical therapists. You work all this. Like, you know, what is it? What's the benefit for you of having a coach? And what's really been your perspective when you were a coach about maybe how to incorporate some of the stuff we already have been talking about? Yeah, well, I'm very much an amateur when it comes to coaching um, in terms of understanding. I think I'm very experienced when it comes to like the inspiration side and, you know, understanding maybe how to train um, like a college level athlete, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm just training some of like my best friends that, you know, were not runners, you know, that like played soccer in high school, you know, they were frat guys in college, you know, didn't run a step and then have now want to find, you know, an outlet. Yeah. And they want to, you know, feel empowered. And that's what I think a lot of people get hooked on for running because of this empowerment, you know, this euphoric feeling you get when all of a sudden you can go out for a run and be like, yeah, I just ran for an hour straight. You know, yeah. I just ran for, you know, 30 minutes straight without stopping. And that would be something that would be unheard of. And it's been a process for me to like learn and listen and, you know, Figuring out, like you said, I think the load management stuff is the stuff that I'm still like learning yeah. quite a bit and how to do that properly. And it's certainly something that I wouldn't say I'm the best, you know, I'm far, far, far away from being the best coach when it comes to like X's and O's and the load management. But I think where I excel is like when I'm able to listen to the athlete and I'm able to listen to how hard their effort was and then be able to then administer a long run or a workout like when I know their body is ready for it. And I think when they are enjoying their training because they're consistently feeling good and they don't feel like they're just constantly dragging themselves out every day, that's kind of the key to success I found with these runners who, you know, like went from the couch to, you know, running a sub four hour marathon. And that was a huge Huge. accomplishment for him. Yeah. And I was, you know, ecstatic for him. We'd be billionaires if we could figure out that exact point when somebody should like do their next exercise. Yeah. Right. That would be, I wish that there was a number. What, you don't think the Garmin watch is telling you 15 hours (laughs) of rest? (laughs) Um, There's help in those measurements. I'm a huge wearable device guy myself. I've looked at that, but I think there is a lot of value in a coach being able to give you some external perspective. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If I was coaching, if if I was coaching myself, you know, like I would just want to light the world on fire every day and I'd be injured so quickly. And, um, I think the, I think a coach is meant to push you, but it's more important to know when to hold you back. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, coach Hunter with Tim Ennelly, like that's one of her greatest qualities is understanding that it's the sum of everything we do. It's like we were saying before, it's like, Hey, if I can keep you healthy for a year, I know you're going to light the world on fire. Yeah. I don't care how amazing this month is leading up to this first race. 
And I think that's what a lot of people get obsessed with. And I know I get caught up within it. And I would say I'm caught up in it right this minute we're filming this podcast is being obsessed with like, how amazing can this next month of training be? Um, instead of just trusting the sum of everything I've done. And, you know, just figuring out like for anyone that's like, um, self-coached or um, doing it themselves. I think that like figuring out how to get advice from people and, you know, learning from others, I think um, being a constant sponge is so important. And I think that has been something I tell people all the time is like, you never want to stagnate and consistency is key. But also I think there's something to be said about um, constantly adapting and changing what you're doing in your program in order to continue to grow and continue to build. Like it's very easy to get caught up in like, okay, my long run is this far this week and I felt good the week before. So I'm going to keep doing that in my marathon buildup um, versus maybe throwing in a little speed work in there and that will give you a bump, you know, or doing hill sprints or, you know, if there's something else to stimulate your body, you know, in the smart way with load management and incorporating it in the right way. Um, I think goes a really long way um, is getting out of your comfort zone in those moments to not stagnate. Yeah, it's it's a science and an art. Totally. I think there's a lot of mix between the two and the best coaches are the ones that get to know the athletes the best and then adapt the plans to who they are and figure that out. Um, I know, you know, you do the coaching, the hammer and axe coaches, coach hunter, uh, you know, hunters, all of it, a lot of it. And just being around that world is really the adaptation and applying the art and science together, which is a lot of fun. I, I'm a science geek, right? I love the physiology. When we talk about consistency in the long thing, I mm-hmm. think about, you know, so many recreational runners think that they can train for a marathon in 16 weeks. And they because that's what the plans are. If you go online and sure. you start Googling plan, there's 16 week plans. No, it takes months, years of preparing to do a marathon there. Yeah. And even if you have a 16 week period leading up to a race or you have the month before you're trying to get qualifying times, it really is everything before it because it takes a long time. You don't get increased microvascularization of your muscles Mm -hmm. in a week or so you you do a long run and it takes three or four weeks for the full benefits of that to kick in so it takes months and years of training and like you're looking i'd say even expand out and look at the last five years of your training where you've come from and when you're getting ready for a race having that confidence to know i've had five years of just professional level training mm-hmm. in all aspects of the world yeah. word so so i got a, i got i got a question for you that i was interested in and it's kind mm. of funny because like when i've kind of you mentioned it before you know like i've seen a ton of people like different types of you know massage therapists dry needling experts um chiropractors you know you name it um and it's funny how I feel like within the first like five minutes, I know if it's going to be a good session or a bad session. Like before they even like start treating me, I feel like I know what I'm going to get myself into. Um, And for me, it's are they going to take the time? Like, is it the type of thing where I'm going to go in there and say, hey, my calf hurts and, you know, my hamstrings tight and they're gonna be like, okay, get on the table, you know, and then they just get right to work, you know, Um, or are they going to take the time to like assess and look at everything 
and, you know, make me go through the movements, check my alignment and those things. It's like, there's a reason I like, you know, primarily work right now, like with you and Sue, like at, at Build PT in uh, uh, Louisville, yeah. uh, Colorado. Um, and it's because like, she doesn't care, like you don't care, like if I say this hurts, um, without looking at the big picture, it's pointless. And I wanted to know from your point of view, like what are you looking for in particular when you're doing that initial assessment in terms of like from an injury standpoint, I'm just curious, like what's going through your head when I walk in and I say something like that, where it's like, what are you looking for? I think it starts with curiosity, like you're saying. I think yeah. that's the the critical step. And if you're a provider, and no matter what level of athlete you want to work with, you have to be curious. And then you have to be willing to be right or wrong and to know why you're right or wrong with that. I, you know, I think test, retest, like you're describing, is the most important thing any provider, any background can do is really just try to understand because you don't even need, there's pattern recognition to start, to take a step back. Pattern recognition is a critical aspect of the care and learning those patterns where somebody that is experienced, if they just tell you to get on the table, in their head, they have a pattern. They know if you tell me it hurts right here, I know that this is likely the issue and they're just going to go right to it. Mm -hmm. I want to constantly learn and change my pattern recognition to be able to get quicker or more effectively to the right thing. So I'm really curious, is this a symptom or a cause? And I want to really know... Okay, when Sam tells me that his Achilles is bothering him, what are all the other things that could put stress on that, right? We start making a hypothesis in our head right away. You give us more information. That's why talking to somebody is one of the most important parts. When we do a gait analysis, I spend a half an hour talking to them. Yeah. Before I touch them, before I do anything, yeah. then we do the runner readiness assessment. Right. Then we do the gait. So right. um, I kind of danced around that a little bit. But I really want to know what's, what is really driving this. Mm. Because I know, and every medical or uh, fitness professional knows that we don't have unlimited time. We have to get down to something. But if you don't measure what you're getting down to, you could be wasting that whole time. Speaking of that time, and this is like my biggest pet peeve with like PTs, massage therapists, like everybody seemingly in the industry that, and everybody does it. Nobody doesn't do it. And I don't get it is like, when you're treating and you're like, okay, get up and walk and see how that feels. It's like, it never does anything. <laughs> I'm so confused on like, unless I go out and go for my run, I'm not going to know how it feels. Like I, I will never feel like all of a sudden like this revelation. And like, I don't get like, is that just like something everyone is taught in school? Like you have to do that. Like, I don't, I don't get it, I guess is what I'm saying. And that's probably just like my stubbornness coming out, but Right, and I do that a lot with you. Yeah, yeah all the time. <laughs> yeah, we do that like 10 times a yeah. session. But we're asking you to say how you feel. Like, I mean, even today, we did a treatment earlier today. There, We did something and you said, yeah, that feels different. I don't, okay. I don't need it to be like, yes, it's better, right? I don't yeah. – that's not the goal, but we're actually looking at even more 
Okay. What we should be like when I look at your face, I look at you do a mm. calf raise. I look, do you turn out? Do you go as high? There's lots of little things that we don't even tell you. So it doesn't even change. matter if what I say. It's like what I'm actually going to look and do. It's is, both is a big part of it. Also. Yeah, it's what it, it's your hesitancy with it. It's if you get off the table and you're tiptoeing or you're limping. That's mm. that pattern recognition. Like we're on the physical therapy side, we a lot of times say we're movement professionals. Right? We mm-hmm. look at this. We're experts at looking at movement. I can look and say, yeah, his calf raise looks better versus not. Interesting. And a lot of times yeah. I'll have some things that I can point to on a video and tell you why it looks better. Yeah. And sometimes it just looks better to us there. And yeah. we have to be careful of confirmation bias because yeah. I think that that can be a real thing. But I, and I think that's kind yeah. of – and I think that's kind of where my pet peeve comes from it. And it's like obviously like with our long relationship, like I'm okay and comfortable enough to tell you like, mm-hmm. no, I don't feel any different. Or yes. like, hey – I don't because it doesn't help me at all if you don't tell me the truth but I feel like if I if it was my first time coming in or it's like hey I just like paid for this massage like I'm gonna be like yeah feel great and it's like feel really shitty you know in reality (laughs) but you know I'm just like I don't really have a good relationship with you and I don't want to come off as me sounding like I had a bad experience here, you know. Well, so I would say two things If, if you're going to somebody that doesn't do that walk out. Yeah. Okay. Right? okay. <laughs> like, because they, they have it in their head that they know what's wrong and they're not going to yeah. find I mean, I told, right I told sometimes. you, I told you before. And it's something that like, also like when we started working together full time is like, and I figured out with you, like you didn't bring an ego to your work. And I feel like that is something where it's very easy in, you know, when you're helping people and you yeah. can make people feel good there is inherently like a narcissistic tendencies that can come with that where it's like, Oh, I can fix people. I can Mm -hmm. heal people. And I've seen some of the most egotistical people I've ever seen in my life, you know, have been people that were, I've been sitting on a table and they're sitting there being like, Oh yeah, I know exactly. Like you're going to be running so much quicker after this, you know, and they really, really believe it, you Mm -hmm. know, whether they even checked, like if my SI was off or even looked at what I asked them to, you know, like they know all the answers. Um, and I think what you said about that, you're curious, you know, and I think the day that you stop being curious, um, is the day that you will stagnate, you know, in your practice. Yeah, uh, with it, and for any even yours, you know, the day you sure. stop being curious about how can you be better, absolutely, absolutely. Right? That's yeah. whatever your profession is for people listening. If you're not curious, if you're not willing to be wrong, you don't really care about getting to the next level. For sure, right? yeah. I I say I don't want to be right. I want the truth. Mm-hmm. I don't. You know, you can tell mm-hmm. me right, and you mm-hmm. do tell me times, and I appreciate it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. great, okay. Well, I'm not going to waste my time doing that anymore mm-hmm. because that actually made you feel worse. Yeah. And like I I you know treat a lot of high level people, and I am always willing to be wrong with that because I'm then going to find the right thing. Mm. But if I wasn't measuring, then I don't know if the first thing I did or the second thing or the third thing or the fourth thing, I don't know if that was right. Yeah. And we have to constantly be checking. I would hate that. to do this. Like I would be like, I coach at a very small <laughs> level, but like the stress of all of a sudden, like having someone's trust yeah. of being like, Hey, do these exercises and then let's see how you feel. You know what I mean? And then they could come back and say, I still feel really shitty or I still feel really bad. You know, it's yeah. like, that is 
there's so much trust and then obviously like people's happiness are so tied in to their ability to move and perform and it's like they're they're the two parts about physical therapy and this practice where it's like you're getting people that are miserable coming in here all the time you know yeah and you know like i've been at my lowest walking through the doors of buildings like this you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's it's a crazy world for sure just having to deal with that yeah it's the same again same as yours you have to be willing to put yourself out there and it takes a lot of you and this goes back to the competitiveness and confidence to say yeah i think this actually is going to work yeah, I I, I believe it is, worse, yeah. and I'm willing to tell you. I a lot of times when we're teaching physical therapists, we say, make sure you do a cliffhanger at the end of the treatment. Hmm. And explain a little bit of like, hey, we did this. Here's what I expect to see. If we don't, then I want to work on this next. Interesting. And that yeah. is a way like you that, hold on to hope for yes. the next thing. It's like, yeah. hey, there's always something else we can look at. Because there are. That makes sense. Everything's yeah. so interconnected. If you, th- it's, you know, maybe eight times out of 10, you are going to see a certain pattern, uh, you know, that 80 20 principle where it's, yeah. it's really going to be one way. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to get surprised where it's like, wow, that should have helped Sam and that didn't. What can I do mm. to help Sam next time? Well, if this isn't it, then I want to go to this because it's it's just knowing anatomy and physiology and stress and mechanics and all of that stuff and putting it together. Mm. And it's like, what is – because a lot of it's basics, right? I think people can make themselves seem uh, more important than they are by trying to make it seem complex. But it's basics. Like something hurts because the stress was more than your body can handle. Yeah. Okay. You know, what are all the things that can put stress on it? Figure yeah. those out. Try <laughs> to get them better. Yeah. Use one at a time, and all of a sudden, like, you're going to find one that works. Yeah, yeah, you do do that now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, so Sam's been here for almost a week now, and we tried some things in the early part of the week, and there was temporary improvement, but not great. And then the last two days have we've seen a little improvement and it's, yeah. it was willing to say, we tried something different that we haven't done in a while. We did some instrument assisted soft tissue with the wind back and we hadn't done that before, but it's because we were willing yeah. to experiment and be wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I feel like Sam and I could probably talk for yeah. <laughs> a long time. So I think we're gonna have to have Sam back on. So I was gonna before we kind of figure out a little bit more any acknowledgments you want to do or, or ways to get a hold of you, I did want to do one little fun segment because of your background story and I knew where you were gonna go with that. I come from swimming and triathlon background and I was saying earlier. So I want to hear your thoughts on PR versus PB. Okay. <laughs> because, all right, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. swimming world, everything is a PR. And then right, I get into right, running right. and everyone starts saying PB. I was going to say PB is definitely a runner thing. That's a totally like, and, but like PR, person, so if you're not familiar with the acronyms, PR, personal record, right, PB, yeah. personal best. And yeah. a lot of times, I think I feel like if you look at a sportscaster or something, they're going to say yes. PR. Yes. But if you talk to a runner, they're going to say PB. Yeah. So, in your opinion, what do you say if yeah. you get a new fastest time in event? Is it a PR or a PB? Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely on the PB, PB side of the spectrum now. Where in terms of like, when I think back at an Instagram post or like a Strava, you know, post race reflection, it's like, uh, you know, thirteen, twelve, five k new PB. You know. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't know when that transition happened because I certainly was, used to be a PR. Like when I thought back at like, yeah, I set my 25 meter breaststroke PR. Right. You know? When did it transition? Was it, maybe it's yeah. not just a sport, maybe it's a time lapse? Well, I don't know, but sudden, I know people like care about when people say PRs like in running. I know there will be some like PR police, you know, or yeah. sorry, I should say PB police. PB where it's police. like no, 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 no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a PR. It's it's PB. PB. So I certainly uh, I understand where this debate comes from for sure, but I I don't know when my trans <laughs> when my transition <laughs> happened. Uh, but uh, so maybe comments, please, or things yeah. like please weigh in and leave us some comments or thoughts yeah. on like PR versus PB and and give a little rationale. Are they the same thing? I would think so. I don't know. I, I mean, I say PR. Like, what is the differentiating personal point? record or personal best? Yeah, but is there any like difference between your best or your record? I don't think so. Yeah. Grammatic, maybe somebody grammatically can uh, chime in there too. Yeah, I don't know if best is something where it has to do. No, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just it might be a more runner centric thing versus <laughs> yeah. like every and our runners solely isolated on this. Yeah, triathletes, I think it's PR. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I know the Australians and the Brits like they're they're like very strong like PB people. Yeah, and like. I would say that they have a very strong they're like a lot of the running culture revolves around Australian and Brit really? and like British people I'd say. Huh. Like I feel like they are at the crux of a lot of like trends like before even before the US is like has them. Um, I think they're very involved in the sport and I think like the way they say like PB like I can't I can't do an accent, <laughs> but like the way they say PB, like maybe that was just sounded way cooler that than clicked. PR. Yeah. Um like yeah. So that's that. That'll be my theory. I'll go with there. All right. So Sam is saying a tribute to the Australians and the Europeans and the yeah. the British there, there that go. they're uh, Team GB, maybe yeah. GB and PB. That's uh, that's. I'll ask my friend Gareth. Maybe he's got a little. Nice, uh, nice, he yeah. works with the diving team. So. Um, all right, so Sam, I think I, I definitely want to have you on again and would love to talk even a little bit more about how to follow running because I think you're one of the most connected people. When we, Whenever we go to an event, you know everybody. Sort of thing. <laughs> and Sam's also really good about keeping me up to date. I'm just old. Track. I'm just old now, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me much older. The community in yeah. running is a special one for yeah. sure. And so, I, I cherish getting to go to these events and meet the new people in the community. Like I love knowing my competitors as much as I want to beat them, I also, you know, respect their craft and their commitment, you know, and oh, yeah. certainly it's, uh, I, I love getting to see them at races. So let's, know? let's have another conversation about that. Yeah, uh, sure. But I, you know, if you have a chance to, if you want to do any acknowledgements or where can people find you, listen to you more, you know, learn more about what's going on, keep up with you. I think hopefully people see that just like I am, you should, be a huge fan of Sam Parsons and Thank follow you, him. Thank you. I and appreciate that. It's like follow him. You along. can also be a big hater of me. That's all right too. I'm used to. I'm. I'm. Uh, Any press I've, is good I've, press. I've seen it all uh, and heard it all. But uh, uh, yeah, I'd say I. I think following our team account, um, Tin Man Elite, um, on Instagram. Um, you know, we try to post YouTube videos, and you know, our whole mission with our team was to, you know, push the sport of running forward. Um, and I guess like through being vulnerable, through being willing to showcase and, 
you know, share as much as we possibly could with what workouts we're doing. Um, you know, I'm on Strava. So if anyone wants to, you know, look at my training that I'm doing, like I probably overshare on Strava with pictures and, um, you know, giving details of what my workouts are and things. I know a lot of um, people can be very like secretive with that stuff. And then over COVID, I just remember getting a message from a kid that was, you know, struggling with inspiration and getting out the door. And he was like, Hey man, like, I don't know if you ever thought of it, but I'd love to see where you're running and just see, uh, maybe that's a little creepy, but, uh, <laughs> see, just see that you're getting out the door yeah. too, you know? And, yeah. um, that one kid was enough for me to all of a sudden be like, okay, I need to start sharing everything I'm doing and I don't care. Um, what maybe little competitive advantage I might be giving to someone else um, because I know that little bit of competitive advantage if I am giving out any for showcasing my training um, definitely doesn't outweigh um, whatever I gave to that kid to get out of the door, you know? So um, yeah, I'd say follow me on Strava, Sam Parsons, and I hope it would come up even though Strava search algorithm is awful. Um, uh, and yeah, I'd say follow our team account, um, would be like the best two ways to follow. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate all the support. Thanks for having me on Dougie. Uh, like I said, uh, earlier on the podcast, but I certainly wouldn't, um, still be running. Um, at this point I can confidently say, um, if it wasn't for you and it wasn't for your commitment. Um, so obviously, uh, whenever you need me on the podcast, I'm going to be there. And, uh, if anyone out there is, uh, ever in need of help, um, I think they're some of the best, uh, physical therapists you have on your staff here at Omega Project and, um, yeah, the run DNA devices, some of the best in the business and Doug is in fact not paying me to say this. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that wraps it up for me. Yeah. yeah I appreciate well, you having me. And you taught me this too. <laughs> so, uh, subscribe, like, like, Sam, comment, like subscribe. comment, subscribe, <laughs> Sam taught me all that, but thank you, Sam, for having on. I mean, this is just Cheers. special and it's just, uh, always anytime I get with Sam is a great time. So <laughs> thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Yeah. All the best. Thanks, Dougie. Like what you hear, leave a review of the show wherever you listen and don't forget to subscribe. So you never miss an episode. Run DNA helps runners and running specialists through education and technology to identify each runner's unique injury profile to avoid setbacks and maximize results. The Run DNA podcast is produced by Ace Running LLC. The Run DNA podcast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can occur. Always seek the guidance of qualified medical professionals before making healthcare decisions. Find us online at rundna.com.